Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hey everybody, welcome back to Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas out to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. When it comes to peanut production, the Texas High Plains experienced both the good and the bad in 2020. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. The coronavirus pandemic changed how the beef checkoff operated in 2020. What can we expect in 2021? I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. The Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine will soon interview applicants for its first inaugural class. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. 2020 was not a particularly good year for peanuts here in Texas, but a bright spot could be found on the High Plains. James Hunt reports. For the Texas peanut industry, 2020 was a year with much production lost due to drought. But Shelley Nutt, executive director of Texas Peanut Producers, says one notable exception was the southeast Texas panhandle, where areas like Clarendon and Memphis saw pretty good outcomes. We saw really good yields and really good grades, and they just caught some rains that a lot of places around the state didn't catch. Unfortunately, farmers in the state's principal peanut growing areas, southwest of Lubbock, suffered severely from lack of rain. Some of them went 90 days without seeing a drop, and it really impacted the yield. But surprisingly, the grades were still good. As to prices, Nutt says profitability was achievable for those peanut farmers who made a good crop. What's ahead for 2021 in the Texas High Plains is a bit uncertain. Nutt says peanut acres could go up if we get good moisture between now and planting time. On the other hand, strong cotton prices could cost peanuts some acres. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The annual Beltwide Cotton Conferences kick off next week, but thanks to COVID-19, this year's event will be all virtual. The conferences will be held online next Tuesday through Thursday, January 5th through the 7th. Registration costs have been reduced this year due to the virtual format, and you can register after the event if you want to access the conference's on-demand content. The annual Beltwide Cotton Conferences bring together all segments of the cotton industry, including university and USDA researchers, regulatory agencies, extension agents, consultants, and industry sales and support personnel. The Cattlemen's Beef Board and the Beef Checkoff are looking forward to 2021. Jessica Domel has more. Today we are joined by Greg Haynes, CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. He says for the beef checkoff, 2021 will be similar to 2020 and that the checkoff's programs, which cover beef promotion, research, foreign marketing, consumer and industry information, and producer communications, will probably have to operate virtually, at least for a while. 
you know, we're still kind of seeing how this is going to shake out. Like we're saying, you know, what's the new normal going to be? So I think right now, everybody's still planning to do a lot more on this kind of remote side. You know, we're looking at how, how do we mine this data from consumers and social media and leverage that even more. So I think that's going to be a greater emphasis on how we how we utilize all these new technologies in the social media to, to make, maintain that uh, effort to stay in front of the consumers. So that's going to be probably the biggest thing. There's more emphasis too on, you know, how do we combat some of the competition that's out there? There's more and more competition to beef. It's not just, you know, meats anymore. You've got all these plant-based proteins, you know, the Beyond Burgers, Impossible Meats, you know, things like that. So we need to be a lot more aggressive in those areas. And then also just the environmental sustainability areas, you know, beef gets blamed for for so much and it's just out in the media there and people are kind of taking that as fact when when it isn't and so we have to to show that hey you know the impacts of uh, beef production you know with greenhouse gases and things like that isn't it isn't what you guys are saying and that really cattle are the the best recyclers out there as far as you know sequestering greenhouse gases again and just you know putting it back through we're not emitting new gases into the environment where you know, burning fossil fuels and transportation are. So I think there's going to be greater emphasis on these areas to just really try to dispel that type of information that's out there in the mainstream media. The Beef Checkoff assesses $1 per head on the sale of imported and domestic cattle, in addition to a comparable assessment on imported beef and beef products. The Cattlemen's Beef Board and the U.S. Department of Agriculture oversee the spending of checkoff dollars to ensure they're being used to stimulate beef sales and consumption. We're doing everything we can to ensure that the programs utilizing beef checkoff dollars are as efficient as possible, that they're being utilized for what they're supposed to be doing. There is a lot of oversight. The decisions are made by other producers on how these funds are used. You know, this isn't like some company or a corporation that's making these decisions. They can reach out to us at any time and get information. That was Greg Haynes, the CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. You can find out more about the National Beef Checkoff and CBB at beefboard.org. That is B-E-E-F-B-O-A-R-D dot O-R-G. In Texas, there is a state-level promotion. You can find out more about the Texas Beef Checkoff at texasbeefcheckoff.com. That is texasbeefcheckoff.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine will soon interview applicants for its inaugural class. Gary Joyner reports. The Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine is open for business. School officials say interviews for the first class of students for the 2021 fall semester will occur in February. Official enrollment follows in April. Courses at the Amarillo campus are set to start in September. The inaugural class is expected to be 60 students. Officials hope a maximum of 100 students will arrive at the school in another two years. The goal of the tech program is graduating students who will serve and meet the veterinary needs of rural and regional communities in our state. There is a shortage of rural veterinarians in Texas. It's expected many applicants to the vet school will come from these underserved areas. The school is partnering with Texas veterinarians in rural and regional communities. It wants to give students hands-on, real-world experience in the communities it hopes the students will eventually work in. The Texas Tech Vet School was first proposed in the early 1970s, 
Five decades in the making, the school is now reality. From here, it's possible. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. In spite of all the challenges in 2020, dairy farmers and their checkoff program were able to pivot and make real progress in a number of important areas, from holding total dairy demand steady to higher to advancing sustainability goals. Brian Baxter tells how. 2020 was a year of disruption for many industries and companies, including the dairy checkoff. Marilyn Hershey, a Pennsylvania dairy farmer and chair of Dairy Management, Inc., gives credit to the national and state and regional checkoff teams that successfully pivoted to the challenges brought by COVID-19. You know, the 2020 plan wasn't sufficient for the circumstances we had. We had to redirect and move milk in other ways. Partnerships and relationships were critical. It was a great coming together. There was a lot of work that was being done to, you know, fast and furiously to move more milk. DMI CEO Tom Gallagher cites four areas of checkoff work that succeeded, including pizza partners such as Domino's and Pizza Hut, food service leaders including McDonald's and Taco Bell. The checkoff created Gen Youth Organization, which has raised more than $17 million to help schools keep the flow of meals and milk going, and working with Feeding America to get more dairy into the Hunger Channel. Gallagher said these efforts helped domestic and export dairy sales combined experience 1.2% growth through September. I think if anyone would have placed a bet on that last March, the people with the 1.2% would have won that bet. People were never going to guess we'd be at that level. Beyond sales highlights, 2020 was a key year for the U.S. dairy industry in making important sustainability announcements, including the Net Zero Initiative. This effort is the pathway for farmers to meet the industry-wide environmental stewardship goals to achieve carbon neutrality, optimized water use, and improved water quality by 2050, according to Barb O'Brien, president of the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy. We unveiled a field-to-farm gate plan. It's called the Net Zero Initiative, and it is aimed at breaking down barriers to make new technologies and practices more accessible and more affordable to farms of all sizes. You know, this is so critical for farmers because ultimately, as we all know, for us to be successful, we have got to earn consumer trust. By being proactive, they're putting themselves at the table and able to define their future in this area. And it's a strategy that, frankly, that's worked. I'm Brian Baxter reporting. The American Farm Bureau Federation is looking ahead to the 117th Congress. Chad Smith has more from Washington. Getting to know the new faces in Congress will be a big priority for the American Farm Bureau. Dale Moore is the executive vice president of the American Farm Bureau. He says they'll also need to get to know the new people in ag leadership positions as well. We've been working with our state farm bureaus to put together information packets so that we can come to a new congressman or congresswoman and say, here's who we are, here's some of our key issues that we will be working on. David Scott from Georgia is going to be the chairman someone that we've worked with a lot. T.T. Thompson, who will be the ranking Republican on the House Agriculture Committee. As we look over to the Senate side, we have Senator Bozeman coming in. That's Senator John Bozeman of Arkansas, who will succeed Pat Roberts as Senate Ag Committee Chairman. Moore says a couple of the biggest priorities the Farm Bureau will work on include trade and getting ready for the new farm bill. Trade has been a front and center issue, whether we're looking across the Pacific at China and the Pacific 
Pacific Rim countries, Japan, South Korea, and so forth. And as we look across the Atlantic Ocean, we're seeing that Great Britain and Europe have finally got their Brexit agreement put together. And we look forward to hopefully making some progress with the European Union. The new Farm Bill is going to be an interesting one, given all that we've been through between the trade wars, certainly with the impact of COVID on farmers and ranchers, livestock producers across the country. Ensuring farmers have a steady supply of guest worker labor will be another key priority in the new session. The other area that is always a perennial issue has been ever since I've come to Washington, D.C., and that is ensuring that farmers and ranchers have access to a ready, stable, legal workforce, and that's going to be an ongoing challenge that we're still trying to find answers to. Chad Smith, Washington. Having a hard time bagging a dove during the second segment of dove season? There's no season or bag limit for an invasive dove that doesn't mind the cold. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. If you're going to buy a horse, getting a pre-purchase exam is very important. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you're going to buy a horse, it's a good idea to get your vet to check it out before you buy it to prevent problems in the future. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells why. I commonly see horses presented to our practice by new owners and find significant long-term issues with these horses. Some horses may have had low-grade laminitis in the past navicular disease or cataracts, for example, and the horse either cannot do the job that the owners purchased the horse to do or will spend a lot of money to maintain the horse. Now, you may be thinking that I only paid a small amount for this horse and I don't want to spend any money having a vet examine the horse. Although that seems logical, there is no such thing as a free horse because if the horse has major medical issues, you could spend a lot of money to care for the horse regardless of the purchase price. A complete purchase exam involves examining all body systems, including the oral cavity, eyes, ears, heart and lungs, legs, and feet. The horse is then evaluated in hard and soft surfaces in a straight line and at a trot in both directions looking for lameness. The vet will then further examine the legs and feet by using hoof testers and flexion tests to check for pain after stressing the joints. Additional tests such as ultrasound, blood work, and drug testing, and even endoscopy and x-rays can be performed depending on the use of the horse and the wishes of the purchaser. However, it is important to know that horses do not pass or fail this exam. This is a common misconception, and it is not the job of the vet to pass or fail the horse, as no horse is 100% perfect. The veterinarian should not recommend buying or not buying the horse to the prospective purchaser, but give the purchaser the facts and then allow the purchaser to make the purchase decision. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. 
Are you having a hard time bagging a dove during the second segment of dove season? Well, there's no season or bag limit for an invasive dove that doesn't mind the cold. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. If you plan on hunting during the second segment of dove hunting season, but aren't having much luck due to cooler weather, there is a type of dove in Texas that doesn't mind a bit of cold. Owen Fitzsimmons, Webless Migratory Game Bird Program Leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says while you may not see morning doves or white-winged dove when temperatures drop, you may still encounter the Eurasian collar dove. They are also very much tied to human habitation, and that's true everywhere else in the world that they're found. And they can actually survive some pretty cold weather. I know that they'll overwinter states far north of us. They've been found up in places like Norway, northern Europe. I think they're able to tolerate the cold conditions a little bit better. Part of it is I think that they're in the city where it's, it doesn't get quite as cold, and they can find plenty of nooks and crannies and buildings and things like that to hide. Hunters who bag a Eurasian collar dove are encouraged to leave some plumage on the bird in the event that they're stopped by a game warden so that they can be easily identified. Eurasian collared doves have a narrow black collar on the nape of their neck. They have a white squared tail on their underside, a pale gray body, black bill, and red irises. Eurasian collared doves do not count towards a hunter's bag limit. If you bag a Eurasian collar dove with an orange tag, report it to the Texas Dove Hunters Association's Banded Bird Challenge. It is part of their research into the invasive species. If you've entered into the challenge, you do have a chance to win one of several great prizes for reporting a tag. Details are available at bandedbirdchallenge.com. That is bandedbirdchallenge.com. For pictures of the types of dove that you can find here in Texas, visit outdooranual.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. All of our agricultural markets were closed on Friday for the New Year's Day holiday, so we'll take a quick look back at how things wrapped up the week on Thursday. That's coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. back looking at another lopsided matchup jim today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields it's no contest every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings see tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We wrapped up 2020 with a bang on Thursday, closing higher in the cattle complex, both live and feeder cattle futures ending in positive territory. December live cattle up 82 cents, 112.95. February up 57 at 115.02. April live cattle up 65 cents, closing the year at 119.25. January feeder cattle up 42 cents, 138.95. March feeders up 47, 140.22. The April up 12 at 1. 141.77. Cash fed cattle market moving higher this week. Most of our cattle here in the south selling for 111. That's a dollar higher than a week ago. If you look up north, they sold some cattle in Iowa at 112. That's a live price, of course. 175 to 176 on the rail. That's as much as $4 higher compared to last week. Boxed beef prices lower. Choice down $1.28 at 209.25. Select down 299. 
196.87. Lean hogs took a big jump on Thursday to wrap up the year. February hogs up 267, closing at 70.27. The April up a dollar 17 at 72.25. Class three milk was lower. January milk down 26 cents, 15.80 a hundred weight. February milk down 42 at 17.49. Back in the spring when COVID hit, no one ever dreamed that we would see the cotton market near 80 cents again. It dropped about 24 cents from where we started the year. We made all of that up and then some. The spot in March contract ending the year seven cents higher than we started the year. It was just a lot of factors combining to help support prices. Of course, we had the hurricane activity that hit here in Texas and across other areas of the cotton belt. The weak U.S. dollar has helped to support prices, and that has helped to boost foreign demand for cotton. All of those teaming up to push cotton prices very near 80 cents as we wrapped up the year. March cotton up 15 points, 78.12. The May up 13, 78.70. The December 21 contract down 24 points, wrapping up the year at 74.87 cents. Same story in the grain markets. No one ever thought we would see hard wheat over $6 this year. But here we are. March, Kansas City wheat up two and a quarter, 603 and a half. July, Kansas City wheat up two at 607 and a quarter. July, Chicago wheat up a penny, 628 and a quarter. The corn market has been on a heck of a tear here at the end of the week. We wrapped up things on Thursday with the 14th straight day of higher closes in the corn market. A lot of that help coming from overseas. China in the market very strong here at the end of the year and look to continue to be a buyer of U.S. corn in the months ahead. Also, Argentina very short on corn supplies. In fact, they're stopping exports of corn until March 1st. So the U.S. is the big supplier in the world market right now and that is causing a big boost in prices march corn up nine and a half 484 a bushel september corn up three and three quarters 446 and a half december 21 corn up one and three quarters 434 and three quarters energy markets february natural gas up 11 cents 254 february crude oil unchanged 48.40 a barrel. The financial markets higher. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 190 points, 30,600. The Nasdaq up 13 at 12,883. The S&P 500 up 22 at 3,754. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. Hope to see you then. Have a great new year. I'm Kerry Martin on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.